Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. When I realized there were small businesses online, I thought, okay, I could do that. And my main goal for my business when I decided that's what I was going to do was to make enough money with the mom stuff salve every month that I could pay our health insurance premiums. Try different things before you set down those irrevocable routes or make it really hard to move. For me, that's a huge part of life is my connection to the physical world around me. And that doesn't mean everybody needs to do it like I am, but just know what rocks your boat and what you need. Today's episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc., where digital healthcare is their niche. Whether you're looking to implement remote patient monitoring in-house, start a chronic or principal care management program, or even leverage telehealth to optimize the delivery of care and outcomes for your patients and team, Chirpy Bird Inc. can help. They offer results-based solutions for practices and health systems to support docs and patients during this uncertain time. You can find them and all of their services online at chirpybirdinc.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where we're dedicated to amplifying the career journey, accomplishments, and lessons learned of women everywhere. I'm your host, Joy Rios. And I'm your other host, Robin Roberts. During the day, together we run a health IT consultancy known as Chirpy Bird Inc., where we get to geek out on all things healthcare, technology, and policy. But along the way, Joy noticed that so many women were running organizations, but too few were leading or being recognized. So we decided to change that. Together, we're learning about the puzzle that is healthcare and sharing what we find with you, our listeners. You can expect us to be talking with some pretty badass women. We will even be exploring how the pandemic is impacting many of their professional lives this season. We've also formed a private community of both guests and listeners over on Slack to help make connections, offer support to one another, and share the resources we come across. If you want to join us, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. This week's community shout outs go to all of our members who are making it a priority to manage their mental health by getting outside for a hike or just a walk in nature. We're looking forward to hitting the trails for some COVID safe walk and talks later this year. And if we're lucky, we hope to see you out there. So high five to all of you guys. Enjoy. All right. Enough already. There are too many awesome women to talk with. Let's get started. This week, I talk with Lee Udall Benyon. 
And she doesn't meet the typical profile of our Hit Like a Girl podcast guests. She's an artist who turned one of her hobbies into a business, but she did that primarily as a way to pay for her expensive health insurance, which was something I really wanted to talk about. I've known Lee since I was 14. Her daughter is actually one of my lifelong friends, and Lee was my art teacher in high school. It was really lovely to be able to sit down with her and have an adult conversation about her life lessons, motivations, and values. We talked in her backyard in rural Utah, so you may hear some background sounds of chickens and birds, but we wanted to ensure COVID safety during our talk. It was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get started. Today we are talking with the Lee Udall Benyon is somebody that I've known for 30 plus years. At least. At least since I was about 14 years old. She's somebody that I have so much respect for. But today we are talking with her about a couple things. One, with her journey as a patient in throughout the healthcare system. Maybe even touch on how COVID has affected you. We are currently speaking in the her backyard in rural central Utah. Six feet apart. Six feet apart. Social distancing. You may, we have three dogs around us, so you may hear that at some point. I'd like to just ask Lee to maybe introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit about your quote unquote career journey. You know, your journey as a professional that led you to be the president and owner of Mom Stuff Sav, which we will get to. Oh, as she said, my name is Lee Udall Benyon. I am 64, female, living in rural central Utah. I grew up in central California, a little town called Merced, which was basically an agricultural town when I was a child. And I watched it turn into one giant strip mall, urbanized area. But while I was growing up and by the time I left home for college, I came to college in Utah. I never went back. I still love parts of California, but it's just too populated. And even here in Utah, I chose to live in a small village where there's not a lot of amenities just because I, I like the rural lifestyle. Well, you're an artist. I get distracted easily. Yeah, you're an artist. And I've, you, oh. you were actually an art teacher of mine in high school. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, we were very fortunate in the little town just next to our town has a private high school and it's a boarding school. Our girls, all three went there as day students, but we met Joy, who was a boarding student there. And yeah, I did teach art classes there. My training undergraduate degree, I have a BFA in painting from Brigham Young University. And so I'm a painter and have that whole career thing going. But somewhere along the line in the 19, I would say early 1990s, I just realized I needed something for my hands. Lotion just wasn't cutting it anymore. Joe and I started doing river trips that year. He's always been a potter. That's what he does for his living, his art career. And we both garden. I work with horses. So our hands take a beating. We're outside a lot. This is a very dry, arid environment. And I had bought a little container of a salve at a health food store and it had two ingredients, three ingredients. There was olive oil, comfrey, and that might've been it, beeswax. Those three things on the label. And it actually worked better than any lotion I'd ever had. And I just thought, okay, I have a big comfrey plant. I'd never done anything with it. And then I said, I can get olive oil and our neighbor's a beekeeper. 
I got to figure out how to do this. And this was like pre-internet days. So I had to get books. I talked to some older people around who, you know, remembered their grandmas making stuff like that. Never did get handed a recipe, but I learned enough through books and talking to people that I kind of got a, some, a feeling for how to start. I had no intention of it ever being a business. I was just trying to make something for my family. So I'd say the first five years I was making it, I would just make it once a year. I'd make about four or five jars, and it was always slightly different than the year before. But about the fifth year I made it, I kind of came up with a formula that I'm still using now on my all-purpose pinion salve, and I loved it. And so I just kept the recipe the same after that. Eventually started giving it away to friends and family at uh, gifting time and then wanting to have more of it. And eventually I found myself selling it, but it wasn't really what I would call a viable business until I put up a website. And that was, gosh, maybe 10 years ago, I think. Very primitive website went up because I never wanted to make enough to have to have a rep going around selling it. But when I realized there were small businesses online, I thought, okay, I could do that. And so started selling it that way. But again, very, very low level of sales and just word of mouth. They kind of went from there. My husband, I've mentioned before, is a potter. He also, through our hobby of doing river running, decided he wanted to do more of it than just on our private trips. And he wound up getting a guide's license. And so he has guided professionally in the Grand Canyon, um, Salmon River, and also Cataract Canyon area for the last 10, 15 years. And so he's got those two sources of income. I still am a painter, and then I have the SAB. So we have four different gigs, basically. We've always been self-employed artists. We've never had anyone paying into a retirement fund for us or anyone doing co-pays on health insurance. So you mentioned something to me previously before this conversation on, I know that it ties in with a personal experience, a health experience that you had mm-hmm. and why you really started this business. Can you kind of share with our listeners what happened to you health-wise and how that incentivized you to kind of take your business to the next level? Well, I don't know if it was one particular health event, but my dad was a medical doctor. And so I knew we had to have some kind of health coverage. And this, before I did have a serious health event, we always carried health insurance. And, you know, when we first started out 40 years ago, it wasn't that expensive. But within three or four years, it just started to balloon and escalate in cost. And, you know, like I said, we don't have, we're self-employed artists. Within a few years, the health insurance premium payment, and this was for a fairly healthy deductible, (laughs) was over half of what we would bring in every month. And we never knew exactly. We didn't have a paycheck you could count on. So that was literally one of the biggest stresses in my life, young life, as a, we're raising kids, is are we going to have enough to pay for our health insurance this month? And then, God forbid, anything happened, because if we do, we've got this deductible. So we're not going to get any love out of that thing until someone's really, really bad off. So for, for decades, you know, we paid in and never got anything out which I don't mind if I felt like it was something we could afford, but it was literally more than half of our income. And so for a long time, the only place I sold my salve was just out of the pottery shop. And when we would send out a newsletter, which we did via the mail before the internet was around, you know, people would know about it. And I'd sell a few hundred jars a year tops. You know, I just make once a year. But eventually I decided after I saw small businesses 
online that maybe I could do that. And my main goal for my business when I decided that's what I was going to do was to make enough money with the mom stuff salve every month that I could pay our health insurance premium. And by then we were empty nesters. You know, I didn't really start doing this as a business till my last kid had gone and I was done taking care of my mother who passed away with dementia. And that and was when she passed that I realized, okay, I've got the time to try to figure this out, you know, getting a website up and, and all that. So anyway, we started that and just for the two of us with a, you know, at least I think it was like a $6,000 deductible. Oh my gosh. Our payments were over 1100 a month. They were like $1,200 a month. I mean, there were months, well, especially the first quarter of the year, because pottery is a gift item. We sell a lot in the last quarter of the year, but the first quarter of the year, we don't sometimes even have a pottery sale until May. Right. Well, and to give people some context, how many people live in the town that you live in? Oh, now there's maybe about a thousand. But when we were, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it was probably closer to 800. So no, it's, yeah, the local sales for it. I knew that I, if I was going to be able to make a business out of this, it had to be an online thing. So I, my goal was to try and make enough money to pay for our health insurance premium. And that was basically what pushed me into the edge because there's months when, yeah, that wasn't a problem to pay it, but there are other months when it was like, okay, I guess we'll do that and eat rice and beans. You know, there was, cause we don't, didn't have a steady income. There wasn't somebody paying us. And yes, we save and live off of our savings through that first quarter of the year, but it's still really hard to write out that big check. So it was always more than half of my monthly budget every month. The health insurance always has been the big gorilla in the room as far as where, where our money went. And it still is to a degree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. So that's kind of how I got into business. That and the fact that I felt like the product was really good and people were asking for it. And I enjoy making it. So it was win, win, win in many ways for me. I love doing it. And I really love being able to make something that is good for other people and being able to sell at a reasonable price and know that it's doing something good on many levels. And now it makes more than what I need for just my health insurance premium, but that's not not like we're millionaires or anything. Well, I (laughs) I compare your products a little bit to... Bert's Bees, but certainly not in the commercialized sense at all. What here. Bert maybe started out with. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. When they sold, I think his widow sold the company or maybe he did. I don't know. But it, you read their labels and they're not much different than everything else out there now. Yeah. They basically bought the brand, which is sad because they were wonderful products, but they're not... There's a lot of water in there now. <laughs> yeah. Well, anybody who knows me well knows that I travel with mom's stuff and different versions of it, uh-huh. no matter where I go. If yeah. I'm, you know, and I've been to medical practices all the way up to Alaska talking about it and down to Florida. And <laughs> It's kind of a goofy name and people often think it's a product for just women and just women who are moms because of the name. But I didn't have a name for it for the first five years I was making it. It was just this stuff that I made for my family. And how it got that name was uh, Louisa, our oldest daughter, was working one summer in between college as a river guide. She learned to row too through our family uh, trips. And at that point, I just put it in baby food jars. And so she had her baby food jar, was putting it on her hands and feet every night. And the other guides were sitting on their boats and they saw her and they just said, what is 
what are you using? And they said, she said, it's just this stuff my mom makes. Of course, they all want to try it because river guides typically have what they call permacracks in their hands and feet from the exposure to sand and water and straps pulling them and rowing. And so she was letting everybody dip into her salve. And by the end of that two-week trip, all of their hands and cracks had healed while they were on the river. And so she was heading back up to Utah. This was in the Grand Canyon. She was heading back up to Utah for a week or two and then heading back down. And when she left, they, the trip leader just said, you have to bring us more of your mom's stuff when you come back. <laughs> so they were some of my first clients, you know, so I had to like make a batch, you know, because these people wanted it. They needed it. And we just started referring to it as mom stuff, you know, and that was really before I thought about a business either. But yeah. that's how it got its name. I love it. I mean, I use it as chapstick. I use it on my face at day and night. It's yeah. like, if it, if I get any mosquito bites. Oh, yeah. It takes the itch out. Yeah. That's a, a lot that of people's part is incredible. eczema, skin issues, which I, none of us had. But I started hearing back from customers. But yeah. Mos- Mosquitoes love me. And I taking the chapstick mm-hmm. kind and just a one little dab on, it like makes the itch go away right away, which has yeah. just been a godsend for me. Hi, Lucy. Hey there. Sorry to interrupt. If you like the vibe of this podcast, you're going to love our private Slack community. It's super supportive, ladies-only pod where we offer real talk, real advice, and genuine engagement to our members to help them stay inspired and level up. To join, just go to hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. All right, now let's get back to the show. Being in rural Utah, I mean, we're I'm we're in the time of COVID. Can you share how has COVID affected your life here, if at all? Because I know every state and area is experiencing it differently. Yeah, Utah. We were aware of the epidemic happening. I'm just thinking back to like January, February. We started hearing about it spreading outside of the Asia area into Europe and this and that, but it just was so far away and there was no cases in the U.S. So we weren't thinking about it too much, but all of a sudden in late February and March, it was looming and we knew, you know, something was going to happen. And when it landed in the U.S., you know, everybody reacted. And I think in mid-March, our public schools, we don't have kids in school anymore. We're, but, you know, I'm aware of what's going on in the community. I think they were on spring break I think they let the kids out probably a week before spring break and they gave them an extra week too. So they had like three weeks off and they said, we'll go from there. Well, they never went back to school because everybody, you know, we'd all watch these movies about pandemics, you yeah. know? So we were all just like ready to shrink wrap our houses, you know, <laughs> and do all this stuff. I mean, I personally wasn't, but I know that it was a big, everyone was terrified because we had no idea how fast it would go or what would happen. But I don't think Utah got cases for a long time. I I don't remember. My short-term memory is not great (laughs) anymore. But we didn't have any cases for quite a while. And even then, it was very light. And by mid-May, the economic wheel is churning. You know, we need... Because it basically trashed the ski season for Utah. We rely a lot on tourism. And... Everything is shut down and restaurants are dying. And, you know, there was a lot of pressure to reopen. And so our state, our governor, I think around mid-May, tried to say, well, okay, we're going to soften from, you know, red zone down to orange. But by then, 
I think by May, we were starting to see the politicization of this issue, you know, kind of the MAGA hat versus the mask that was starting to happen Yeah, where people were, my husband had experience going into a few places around here where he was chastised for wearing his mask as we, as soon as things loosened up, because, you know, we all see the same memes stuff on social media. So that was becoming a reality and the pushback of you can't tell us what to do. So that's real here, just as I feel it probably is everywhere. Yeah. But it's been interesting. Walmart, the employees were all wearing masks for the most part. And at first you saw a lot of masks there and then hardly any. And only old people like me that are really scared of getting it. Yeah. But then Walmart just two weeks ago, because Utah's been spiking because they opened, basically everyone went from red to green. There was no orange. There was no yellow. It just, once they said we're lightening up, it was basically up to individual businesses and people. And it was just sort of a free-for-all. And now we are spiking terribly. So uh, about two weeks ago here in Utah, Walmart started requiring masks of everybody who comes in the store and their greeter person is out there handing out masks. All I was going to add to that was that in traveling through the state, I have noticed people aren't wearing their masks as much. And I think it's partly because there's more open area. There's definitely, it definitely feels like there's more outdoor space There's more space, yeah. So to that degree, I get it. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, because I'm living in Mexico now, the Walmart down there, Mm -hmm. they take your temperature before you go into the store. And it's a real quick thing. They just do a, you know, quick temperature gauge, clean off your cart, and then off you go. Mm -hmm. But everyone there is in masks and taking it very seriously. But no, it's, it's a little different here. I'm sad to say, I think that it's the political, the polarization, you know, you can't take away my rights. It's that, yeah. that, that I find a little disturbing that a health issue has become a political issue. I'm not, that doesn't bode well Yeah. for how we're going to cope with this as a country. It's going to take longer. Well, there's a lot going on in the country. And I guess transitioning kind of to a degree related, but thinking about how you have chosen to live your life, it's definitely been a unique path. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice that you would give to anybody kind of looking for a, not even a new normal, but a better normal or what has worked for you in, and what are some of the lessons that you've learned in choosing that place? Unique, yeah. Well, the one thing, Joe and I've had a number of young artists and kids going to school that have admired us, been aware of us, that have dropped by and wanted to kind of pick our brain and you know, they'll sometimes say, I want to do like what you're doing. I have two things that I'll say to them. I think number one is know where you want to be because some people really thrive on city life. Some people like me need space and I really need to have animals. Like I'm a horse nut. I've had, and I grew up in a place where I couldn't keep my horse where we lived. We were in a subdivision and that was not possible. So it was always a 15 minute drive. And I knew that I couldn't afford to board a horse living in a city and do that because it was going to always be way out of my budget. So I knew I wanted to live in a place where I could keep my horse. That was my big criteria, animals, space, being able to garden. So I think that's really important is know where you want to be. And if you're young and you don't know that, then travel. 
and try different things before you set down those irrevocable roots or make it really hard to move. But that's important. For me, that's a huge part of life is my connection to the physical world around me. And that doesn't mean everybody needs to do it like I am, but just know what rocks your boat and what you need. The other thing is, if you want to be self-employed as an artist, as a writer, whatever it is you're doing, just know, be prepared mentally to live below the poverty line for a while. And if you're willing to accept that, because it might take a while. Yeah. And it just depends on what your business is. Yeah. For us, I would say the first 14 years we were married, we were right around the poverty level as far as income and dipping below that. Our kids never really knew it because we lived in a rural place. They had a pony to ride. They had a bicycle. They could go anywhere in the town they wanted. You know, it was just this idyllic, long extended childhood. But they didn't go to a school where everyone was dressed in the latest fashions either. And they just, it worked out fine. They're all happy, successful adults. They are. Yeah, they are. So just be aware that, you know, it's different than having a job where you have a paycheck. And you have to be a little creative. And if you can accept that, then go for it. (laughs) The other thing we ask a lot of our guests, if they could wave a magic wand or snap their fingers and solve any problem in healthcare, we often ask in health technology, but that might not be appropriate here. Is there anything in particular that if you could take the problem away, you just would like snap your fingers and it's gone. Well, right off the bat, I think of universal health care. That should be a right, I think, for all people. I mean, if you go back thousands of years, you know, before we have written history, we know from oral traditions that every village had its healer and more than one. You know, it was an art that women learned and men too, to know the herbs, know your local pharmacy, basically, what's out there. We are so far from that now. I mean, it's so regulated and it's so tied to business and profit that I think our healthcare system has systemic health issues itself. Going back to what we were talking about in my personal experience, I'm talking 30, 35 years ago when I realized I'm paying more than half of my income towards health insurance. Every once in a while, you would hear snarky remarks about socialist countries Mm. like Denmark or Sweden, where half of your income goes to the state. And I would just counter when I would hear people talking like that. I said, I would gladly live in a society where half to three quarters of my income went to the state if I knew that I had complete health coverage. We're not talking about a high deductible possible policy. We're talking about coverage. I was covered. My children were covered. And all of my neighbors and the rest of my country had health care, that basic need covered. And also schools, education, higher education. If everybody paid half their income, including the 1% and corporations that get a lot of tax breaks, we would not have a problem. Right. <laughs> and if big business didn't run big pharma. And I, they'll say, well, we need money to invest, to, to create the drugs. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to buy that anymore. But that's what I would wish for. I wish I could snap my fingers and have universal health care that worked. It's, I think eventually we're going to get there, but it's 
they're going to be some growing pains because we've got a lot to undo. Yep. There's a big, big skeleton in the closet that needs to be dismantled. But I do believe it's entirely possible that this can happen for our planet. Fingers crossed. Hope so. Yeah. So Lee, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about you and even purchase your salve, where would they do so? The easiest thing is just to go to the website for Mom Stuff Salve and it's just momstuffsalve.com. Or we do have a presence. My daughter, Zaina, works with me. She's a partner in the business she does all of our social media. So we have a presence on Facebook and also on Instagram. And I'm not sure if she does it other places or not. <laughs> those are the only two I ever look at. So. And for those who aren't sure how to spell salve, it's S-A-L-V-E. Yes. Yeah. And the difference between salve, a lot of people refer to what I make as a lotion. Salves have absolutely no water in them. Salves and balms, they're all oil-based So they're very concentrated products. If you look at any lotion or most of your skin creams, the main ingredient is water. Because on a skincare product, they have to list all their ingredients from greatest to least. Go take a a look at your label, even on a $200 jar of face cream. First ingredient is always going to be water. And it's often like 60%. And the rest is things. The only things that are actually good, beneficial for your skin are what they call the active ingredients. Those are often like two to six percent. And the rest of it's emulsifiers and weird stuff to keep it in suspension in the water and fragrances. So you're really not getting much that's anything. My products are a hundred percent active ingredients, very little. So it's like if you buy a jar of my salve, it's like buying 10 jars of lotion right. as far as what it will do. It lasts ages. Yes. It's- and doesn't go bad and it has antibacterial. It's just, it's go on the website. You can read a lot about it. (laughs) So anyway, a a salve is, it's stiff. You kind of dig it out with your thumbnail and then it melts into your skin. But it's, it's very different than lotion and give it a try. Well, thank you, Lee, for sharing your journey and just your presence with us today. We really appreciate it. You are so welcome. And it's so great to see you, Joy. (laughs) Always. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybird.com. I-N-C dot com.